0: Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahir Rabbil Alameen, Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Ashrafil Ambiya Iwal Mursaleen, Nabina Muhammad, Wala Alihi Wa Ashabihi Ajma'in, Amma Bad, Assalamu Alaikum, Rahmatullahim, Barakatu. Alhamdulillah, Tumalhamdulillah, We are currently on Listen number 9 tonight, Insha'Allah Ta'ala, of the Tafsir of the Short Surahs of the Quran Course. Last week, Alhamdulillah, we completed our Tafsir of Surah Al Fatiha. And tonight we move on straight away with the tafsir of the next short surah of the Quran, which is Surah al duha um, Surah al Duha meaning the morning sunlight. And this is a surah which is extremely beautiful and a powerful surah of the Qur'an, by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala consoles the Prophet after he experienced some sadness and some loneliness and some grief and so forth. Um, and this is in itself, when we study the surah, we will see it is an advice for those who are suffering with some grief as well, and some loneliness or some depression. And through the surah, we can, you know, uh, by understanding the surah, we can treat ourselves and help ourselves overcome this grief, Ta'ala. The surah also teaches us to count our blessings and to be grateful and appreciative of our blessings from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and also to um, be grateful by showing our, our favors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon us to others. Um, what we mean by this is by showing our gratefulness by being good to others and not by humiliating others um, and so forth. So we move, inshaAllah, the first issue that I'd like to discuss is the cessation of revelation. So, revelation was seized, as the scholars mentioned, on two occasions um, from the Prophet sallallahu The first time this happened was at the beginning of revelation after suratul alaq iqra bismu ladhi khalaq was revealed there was a time when revelation stopped so he got once of revelation and then it stopped for a particular time and then surah Mudathir was revealed and the second time a few for a few nights there was no revelation and then suratul duha was revealed so regarding the first time revelation was seized or stopped the hadith basically mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi was walking after, it has, after a revelation had ceased and he heard a voice from the heaven and he looked up and he saw the angel who had brought him the revelation to Hira. يعني Jibril alayhi salam who was sitting on a throne between heaven and earth and he says I was stricken with terror, terror and I fell to the ground. Then I came to my family and I said dathiruni, dathiruni, zamiluni, zamiluni which means cover me, cover me, envelope me, envelope me and so forth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came with the next revelation, which was, Ya ayyuhal muddathir. Oh, the one, oh Muhammad, enveloped in garments. Right? Dathir, muddathir. Right? He used to say, Dathiruni. He said to them, Cover me. One who's enveloped, Zamiluni. Ya ayyuhal muddathir was then revealed. So this was after the first period of cessation. How long was this period? Some scholars said three years, some two, some two and a half, some 12, some 15 days. 25 of Kunti Ibn Abbas, others said 40 days, and so on. So the scholars, they differed over this time period, right? The most important thing is, uh, it happened, and why did it happen? Firstly, the ulama say that, so that the fear that the Prophet had after that first revelation could dissipate. He could, it could يعني, move on from it and get over from that fear. Secondly, that he might long for the revelation. He might long for more revelation to come. After the fear disappears, he might then long for this revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again. And thirdly, so that Allah will then console him by sending new revelation by which his iman and his steadfastness will be increased. And a fourth reason scholars mention is that cessation of revelation is also done as a test for the people. right? The believers to see will they become steadfast or not. And Those who have doubts, will they be steadfast or will they leave Islam and so forth, right? So the believers become steadfast during this period and the disbelievers would eventually go astray and Allah knows best, right? Regarding the second time that revelation was seized, right, this happened only for a few nights. As Ibn Kathiri said, Surah Duha was revealed after another period of cessation of revelation that lasted for a few nights. As proven in as sahihain and elsewhere. sahihain means the two Sahihs, referring to, of course, Bukhari and Muslim. So the hadith in Bukhari says um, that Allah's Messenger became sick and could not offer the night prayer for two or three nights. So he could not pray tahajjud for a few nights because he became sick. Then a lady who was the wife of Abu Lahab came to him and said, Oh Muhammad, I think that your shaytan has forsaken you. Right? I think referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has forsaken you. She then referred to Allah as a shaitan, as of course she was a kafirah. Um, For I have not seen Him with you for two or three nights. You have not been praying Qiyam, or that nur that comes from it is not there, or perhaps she's referring to the revelation, right? She has referred to you, you have not received revelation for two or three nights, right? And hence she now is accusing. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are forsaking him and she said to him I think your shaitan has forsaken you because of the lack of revelation On that Allah revealed Right this is how the surah was revealed So it's important that we get into that as well because it gives us a background as to how and when the surah was revealed Right um, in another narration from Al-Aswad ibn Qais, he said that he heard Jundub, who was the same narrator from the previous hadith, say that Jibreel alayhi salam was slow in coming to the messenger of Allah. Meaning, again, some time had passed and Jibreel had not come with new revelation. So the Mushrikeen started to say, Muhammad's Lord has abandoned him. Muhammad's Lord has abandoned him. And then Allah revealed, saja Rabbuka wa ma In another narration, Mu'tamir ibn Sulaiman, he said, he narrates from his father who said, when the revelation ceased for a while, they used to say, meaning the mushrikeen, if it was really from Allah, revelations would come one after another. right? You see how it's a test for them as well. It's a test for all. But Allah has forsaken him and hates him. This is what they accused and this is what they then propagated about Allah and the messenger. That Allah had forsaken him and that Allah hates him. Right? And then Allah revealed what duha, and according to this narration, as well. So what we find is that the mushrikeen, they believed this, or they at least claimed this, that Allah had forsaken the Prophet sallallahu And this indeed was a test for the Prophet sallallahu as well as the sahaba, as well as the, the believers of the time. It was a test for them to see if they will remain steadfast. What is the thoughts going to be of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and so forth, right? And it was also a time when the Prophet sallallahu he longed for this revelation to return and that special connection with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So, firstly, understand the Prophet sallallahu alayhi This was something special to him, of course. He receiving revelation and wahi, so he longed for this. He was, you know, obviously hoping for more of this revelation and longing for the special connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And this is something that happens to all of us, right? We do not receive revelation, of course, but we are supposed to have a special connection with Allah, especially in our ibadat and especially in our salah. That salah is that special connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When our salah is not up to standard, then we may experience this loneliness. We may experience this... um, Lack of connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We may see that the salah has a lesser of an effect on us. For example, salah at tanha' al wal-munkah, the Quran says it's supposed to keep us away from immoralities and from all sin. Does our salah keep us away from sin or not? If it has not, then it's not having the, the, the desired effect upon us. So this is something that happens to all believers. Right? The most important thing is not to lose hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to always turn back to Him. Make dua to Him, ask Allah to rectify your affairs and work on your ibadat. Work on your ibadat. Know that Allah has not moved. Allah does not just move away from people or distance him, His mercy away from people. It is the people who move away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through their sins and through their um, inefficient worship and so forth. Right. So <clears throat> this is something that happens to all people and as we will see how the, Allah Subhanahu wa taala consoles the prophet sallallahu alaihi through the surah likewise um, the same can happen for us if we turn to Allah Subhanahu wa taala sincerely So we look at the tafsir of the surah bi Allah Subhanahu wa taala he then started the surah by saying wadduha duha. right he swears and he takes an oath by Adduha. Right by the morning sunlight or the morning brightness. This wow, this in this wa you can see the wow over there, Wadduha is a wow of al-qasam. Right, we have many types of wows in the Arabic language. Right, usually the most common type is we translate wow as and right here. Allah says wadduha by the morning sunlight. It's an it's a wow of qasam that we use to, to take a qasam, an oath. Like we all say, Wallahi, Wallahi, right? By Allah. This is a similar example. And there are many types of qasams in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes. Oaths. Right? And what's important is that we also try to reflect over them. Why did Allah swear by al duha Why did Allah swear by Al-Fajr? Why, Washamsi wa Duhaha? Wal Qamari Talaha? Hari All of these are oaths that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by these. Uh, particular things there must be an importance there must be some reasoning and some wisdom behind it and after these qasams comes an a lesson so this lead up this build up should be studied as well should be you know thought about and thought into as well as well as the lessons that um, come after it right allah swears here by the morning sunlight when it shines bright and strong this is the time of duha the time of our duha is the time when the sun shines bright and strong. It's after the fajr period. So Fajr we know Subha is the before sunrise. Al-Duha comes about after sunrise. Right after the sun has now risen. That period up until Zawal period, right? Before Zuhur, that is the time of duha. So this is a time when the sun becomes he comes up. It's it's you know it's not extremely hot yet. It's soothing, it's warm, and it brings brightness and it's quite strong in it's in it's in it's um in its brightness the context of the surah again the prophet sallallahu was worried that he is to blame for the cessation of wahi he carries the burden of the ummah there's no prophet after him right um, the sahaba the other muslims are looking to him for support at every moment right he's their leader and the mushrikeen are throwing around all of these things as we saw his Lord has forsaken him, his Lord hates him, it's not true. If it was true, the revelation would be continuous, and so forth. So, the Prophet needs an answer, right? And he's waiting. And when this woman came and said these things, Allah then answered them. He refutes the mushrikeen and he consoles his Prophet, right? So, he's going through some grief, some worry, some distress. Is it his fault that the, that the cessation has happened? Um, is he, what's he doing wrong, and so forth. Right, and this is something very good. This is something very good that when we have this, this this connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, we should do the same thing. Remember, it's not Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's fault. Perhaps it's a test. But what should we do? We should do introspection. We should then ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong? What is it that, that is causing this disconnection? Why is our salah not having an effect on us? Why is our Quran not having an effect on us? Why are the lectures that we are listening to not changing our lives and so forth? We should ask ourselves the question and then try to find the answers and fix up our lives inshaAllah. So like the Prophet you know, he, he had this worry, we should truly also have this worry for ourselves. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala, He says then, responding to this context and this, what had what happened between the Prophet and these mushrikeen that were basically attacking him. Um, swearing by the, the sunlight, this morning brightness basically, this morning sunlight, this morning period. So just like that early morning sun brings light out of darkness of the night and it brings brightness to the day, these br- verses will bring light unto you, Ya Rasool Allah. You see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fits this duha into the context of what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is going through. right? He's going through a period of some darkness, some difficulty, some coldness. No revelation, no wahi, no nur from Allah. right? Allah then swears by the duha. This duha will be like that nur in your life. It will come back. The revelation has come back. It has come back. This this word alone is revelation. right? This wow alone is revelation. So this brings that light back into his life. Just like the light of duha brings to the day. Subhanallah. And this immediately brings warmth to the Prophet. ﷺ. After the coldness of the night, that morning sun, that time of al-duha, brings warmth. It's a soothing type of warmth. It's not, um, you know, extremely hot. It's not excruciating heat like you get in the desert. No, it's, it's, it's actually a soothing warmth. This is what it brings to the Prophet. ﷺ. This al-duha, this revelation that comes, this also brings the same feeling back. To the to Rasulullah and to the believers as well, right at the time. And this undoubtedly shows the immense and great love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has towards the Prophet. Wa sallam, proving the mushrikeen wrong, affirming his love, and look at the way he addresses the Prophet. Wa look at the appropriate words that he uses and swears by in this context to console and to reassure Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa um, The time of Al-Duha is from after the sun has risen, until before Zawal, which we have mentioned, and it is a time when people are usually busy working. And as we know, that morning period time, it's generally everybody's at work, kids are at school, and so forth. The next ayah, Allah Azza wa then says, sajā, Laylī sajā." This wow again is a waw of Al-Qasam. He then swears and takes an oath by Al-Layl. We should know the word Al-Layl means the night, like Al-Yawm means the day, Yawm and Layl. Allah now swears by the night when it falls still when it falls still and this is the exact opposite of al-duha this is the exact opposite of al-duha right we said al-duha is the morning period before noon after sunrise till before noon it's a busy period of the day it's a bright period warmish period of the day the night when it falls still is a dark period and it's generally a quiet period. Period people are at, at home, people are in bed, people are asleep, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a time when everything cools off, right? The darkness starts to cover everything. We're not talking about Maghrib, we're talking about late night, when the night becomes still and dark and quiet. And this is the correct view in terms of the, the tafsir of Sajjah. Sajjah could mean approaches, it could mean when the night departs, as has been narrated from some of the scholars and Ibn Abbas, and Ibn It could also mean when the night falls still and darkens. And this is the correct view in this context, right? When it becomes still and dark. And this is the opposite of uh, of al-duha. So the ayah refers to when the night becomes dark and still, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created both of this, of course, morning for work and night for rest, right? This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it um, for us. Both have its benefits and both are equally important. We appreciate the day because of the night and vice versa, and the same with all opposites, right? Why do we appreciate the day? Because we have the night, that darkness. Imagine it's always dark, right? We, now we appreciate the day. Likewise, likewise, we appreciate the night after the day has gone. We need the time of rest. We need some darkness so we can you know, rest properly, some quietness, some coolness, some stillness, so we can rest and, and, and recuperate for the next day. And so forth. So, we appreciate um, things because of its opposites. With any ni'mah, we appreciate tawheed once we learn shirk and see shirk. You see people committing shirk, you will appreciate your tawheed. You see people falling into innovation, you will appreciate your sunnah and so forth. Right? You appreciate wealth when you see the poor. You appreciate your food when you fast. Or you see those who are hungry. Right? You appreciate everything when you see the opposite or experience the opposite. Okay? Likewise with difficulties and times of ease, right? The Prophet ﷺ went through a small time of difficulty. Now comes the ease when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals al duha once again. When He says, wadduha. We all go through times of ease and we all go through times of difficulty. We should appreciate both of these times. When we hit the difficulty, now we appreciate our times of prosperity and ease. And likewise, when we experience times of Um, of ease we appreciate those difficulties that we went through because those difficulties when we get through them they make us better people they make us stronger than what we were they teach us valuable lessons this is the way of the believer that he takes a lesson from every single um, issue and every single condition and circumstance that he goes through as the hadith says, amazing is the fear of the believer and we should know that hadith inshallah so we take benefit from the times of difficulties as well as the time of ease. Just some of the things some of the scholars have mentioned very quickly. Some said al-duha refers to the noor of Jannah. And others said al-duha refers to the noor that's found in the hearts of the righteous people. Whilst the darkness, wal idha sajjah, that darkness refers to the disbelief and the darkness that's found in the hearts of the disbelievers. Others said al-duha refers to the worshippers who worship Allah in the time of Al-Duha, in that morning time. And uh, Layliya, uh, Sajjah, this darkness refers to those who worship Allah in the darkness of the night. Right? And as we know, these are time, virtuous times of worship, the time of Al-Duha and the time uh, 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 during the late part of the night. These are just some of the things that scholars have said about Al-Duha and asaja, or asaja. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, um, He knows best. Right, But clearly he swears by these times. And this gives it importance. And as you can see, this is why scholars thought deeply about it. What exactly is meant? Is it the time of the day or is it something deeper? Does it refer to Jannah? Does it refer to what's in the heart of the believers, the heart of the disbelievers, the darkness, and so forth? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, ما وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلًا Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he continues and He says, Your Lord, O Prophet... This kayyah refers directly to it means you addressing Rasulullah sallallahu your lord has not abandoned you wa ma has he become hateful of you Allah immediately then he consoles the prophet sallallahu alaihi if al-duha did not console him if this ayat these ayat already served as a consolation for him because the revelation had returned that warmth had come back into his life, the noor had come back into his life, just like al-duha comes into the morning. This is how these ayat were to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But Allah then goes on and again affirms his love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam by saying, Allah has not abandoned you. Your Lord has not abandoned you, nor has he become hateful of you. He immediately consoles the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam even further. You know, reassuring him. Never ever have we abandoned you. Never have we bid you farewell. Wadaaka Comes from the word تَوْدِيع which means wada'a, You know, like to, to bid farewell. To, 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 see, to, to see someone awful for good, basically. This has never ever taken place. Impossible. Allah has never abandoned you or forsaken you. And He, by this, refutes exactly what those mushrikeen were saying. That your Lord has forsaken you and He hates you. Exactly what they were saying Allah refutes it. And He says, "Ma رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلًا. لا, ما يمكن. Impossible. It's impossible. He refutes them straight up and He says, He has not abandoned you, nor has He become hateful of you. In fact, he, you are the most beloved to Him. And this is the reality. This is the reality that Rasulullah is the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never mind hating Him. Right? That would be the furthest thing from the truth. Um, and there's many evidences for this that he is the most beloved to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. One example, Rasulullah has said in a hadith, Allah has taken me as a Khalil. He has taken me, me as a, a Khalil, which we translate as a close friend. As he took Ibrahim as a close friend, we know Khalilullah is generally referred to as Ibrahim alayhi salam, which is true. But the hadith also proves that Allah has two Khalils. Initially it was only Ibrahim, but it's also Rasulullah, Muhammad, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is also Khalilullah. There are two of them. Khalilullah is two, Ibrahim and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa What does it mean to take a person as a Khalil? It indicates the highest level or type of love. A Khalil is someone that is the most beloved to you, the closest to you. Understand? The most beloved to you and the closest to you, your closest body, your closest person to you is a Khalil. Right? This is uh, uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means. We know Allah doesn't have friends or companions or... This is is impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what it indicates is they are the closest to Him in terms of their love and or or Allah's love for them. They are the closest to to Him in this way. Understand? Um, And many other proofs. Allah made Him the seal of the prophets and the best of all prophets and the best of all mankind and so forth. Allah has honored Him. Uh, extensively without a doubt Right um, So it's impossible When Allah says that he does not hate him This is wadih, this is something well known It's impossible for Allah subhanahu to have hated Rasulullah but he affirms this And makes it very clear To refute those mushrikeen and to give reassurance Complete reassurance to whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Allah then He then says And the next life is certainly And the next life is certainly far better for you than this one right walal akhirah allah says lam ya is for tawkid walal If you check point number 3 there the additional lam in walal akhiratu is for emphasis right allah is using emphatic speech he could have said in Arabic, He could say wal akhiratu khayrul wal akhiratu instead allah says walal akhiratu and this is certainly the Akhirah is better for you than Ula, than this one. And again, this is a glad tiding for the Prophet Allah as if to say to him, these difficulties that you are going through now, with these mushrikeen and these things, with these, you know, your enemies and so forth, um, don't worry, because what's coming in the future is going to be better for you. What's coming in the next life will be better for you. That's, that's what you should work for. That's, what you, that's where your focus should be. It's a glad tiding for him because what's coming in the Akhirah is going to be the best thing for you. Don't worry about now. right? Prepare for the Akhirah. Keep working. Keep going. It's a glad tiding. It's, a, it's a, again a consolment for the Prophet wasallam from Allah subhanahu wa taala to say all of these things, these difficulties, these issues, don't worry about it. Continue with your da'wah, continue with your work. What's coming in the akhirah is better for you than, than this current life, than this than this one over here. Right? This is how Allah ta'ala again, out of love for his Prophet, gives him that inspiration and gives him that, that push to continue, not to be worried about what people are saying and so forth. And again, this is confirmation for the love Allah has for him and that he had never ever abandoned him or hated him. Impossible. We are preparing for you the best. Not necessarily in this life, but especially in the Akhirah, in the next life. Right? So, this will confirm that the Akhirah will be better for the Prophet, and this brings about hope and steadfastness, as we said. Things will get easier, O oh Prophet, specifically, and O oh people. Right? Allah is telling Him that things will get easier and better, don't worry. Right? And to the people as well. For those out there going through some difficulty, those out there struggling with their deen, struggling with propagating the deen to others, struggling within their family and so forth. We've spoken about the hadith of the strangers. Don't worry. What's coming in the Akhirah is better for you. That's what we are working for. That's what we are striving for. It's not the, the pleasures of this world that we are after. It's the pleasures of the Akhirah that we, that we should be seeking. right? And that's where we should be seeking and hoping for our reward and not necessarily... Inside of this dunya and so forth. So let's work for that because that's better and that's best than what than than, than the pleasures and, and, and the and the favors of this world and so forth. Um when the Prophet was given the choice at the end of his life between remaining in this life forever and then going to paradise or moving on to the company of Allah, he chose that which is with Allah over this lowly world. It's stated by Ibn Kathir. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a choice. Do you want to stay in this dunya or do you want to come into the akhirah or, or leave this dunya now and so forth? There's a narration, um, some have said it is weak, where the Prophet wa has said this in a general sense in the khutbah and Abu Bakr he cried. And they said, What's wrong with Abu Bakr? The Prophet was speaking in a general sense. He just said, A man will be given a choice between this world and. Abu Bakr understood what what was meant by this man was Rasulullah that he had been given the choice and he then said that this man chose the Akhirah. He chose to be with Allah. Abu Bakr understood what this meant and he cried because he knew this meant that the the end of the life of the Prophet was soon approaching, right? So we know that he chose to be with him and we spoke about this last week when we said on his deathbed he said We should know what that means we don't we should go back to that lecture and he said allahumma fir rafiq al-a'la allah with the company of the the most high yani in jannah and so forth right in fact the hadith the rasulullah was lying on his on a straw mat and he left marks on his body and this is how simple he was and this shows how detached from this dunya he was remember he's the leader of the ummah if he wants something fancy he will get it who would not give it to him if he wants the best of homes he would get it built for him easy Right? He's the leader. Imagine all the Muslims come together, what could, what could they not give him? right? Um, when he woke up, he began to rub his side. Think, it's a straw mat, it must not have been very comfortable. He, he rubs his side and it leaves a mark on his body. So Abdullah Mas'ud said to him, "Oh, Messenger of Allah, will you allow us to spread something soft over this mat? And he let us give you some sort of a mattress, some sort of blanket or something soft over this, so you can have some comfort, you can relax. After all of the burden that you go through, all of the stress and the difficulty you go through in this dunya for this deen, for us and so forth, let us give you something comfortable. And he then said to them, Mali walid dunya, what is there for me in this world? There's nothing for me in this world. He said, The example of me, the parable of me in this world is like a rider. Right? Think of a rider on a horse. He rests in the shade of a tree. Then he passes on and leaves it. That tree is the dunya. This rider comes past, he stops, he takes a rest, and he gets up and he goes. That is the, the way the Prophet is in this dunya. He comes, he passes by, and he goes, right? Meaning, he does not live for this world. He's not living for this world, he's living for the Akhirah, because the Akhirah is better. laka it is better. Hence, whatever he's doing, he wants the reward to be there and not in this world, right? And this is the understanding of Rasulullah sallallahu and it's it. of course a lesson for us that we shouldn't be working too much for this dunya. We can work, we can earn, we can have a home and so forth, no problem. But ultimately, we should be preparing our home in the Akhirah. What are we building for the Akhirah? What are we investing for the Akhirah? We can invest in this dunya in so many things, right? What have we invested for the Akhirah? As the hadith says, when you, a person is buried, three things follows him to the grave. His family, his wealth and his deeds. Two of them will leave except the one will remain. Your family will leave you behind. Your, de- your, your, your wealth and so forth will leave you behind. It will return home. Whilst only your deeds will remain with you in the Qabr. Right? We need to work for this. The life in the Qabr, in the Barzakh. And then the life in the Akhirah, Which is eternal. It's eternal. Imagine. Prophet passed away. 1400 and odd years ago. 30 odd years ago. Uh, and so forth. That's how long he's been in the Barzakh. In the Qabr. That's how long he's been buried. He lived for 63 years. He's been in the qabr for over 1400 years. Subhanallah. And how long will he remain there? Only Allah knows. And then he goes to the Akhirah for eternity. This is something to reflect over just to give us an idea how insignificant this dunya and this life is. How short it really is. How, how, how in comparison to, to the Barzakh it really doesn't compare and how in comparison to the Akhirah it's, it's nothing. Imagine eternity compared to an average of 60 years it could be less it could be more and only only allah knows so we should be preparing and investing for the akhirah because that's eternity that is that is the real life you know and that is completely better than this world and our ultimate goal is to be in jannah and to be in jannah with the prophet sallallahu and so forth may allah make us of them who achieve that ameen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says And surely your Lord will give so much to you that you will be pleased. Subhanallah. So, many scholars said this applies to the Akhirah. This ata, this giving that Allah will give to Rasulullah they say it applies to the Akhirah. Because of the previous verse. The previous verse said that the Akhirah is better than this current life. Right? So they said when Allah yes, says that he will give you so much that you become pleased, it refers to his giving to you in the Akhirah. Right? For example, many things will be given to him. One of the main things that will be given to the Prophet is Shafa'atul Kubra, the great intercession. right? On Qiyamah what's going to happen? People are going to run around looking for someone to intercede on behalf of them. So they're going to come to this Prophet who's going to say, nafsi, nafsi. And they'll go to Musa, they'll go to Ibrahim, they'll go to Nuh, they'll go to all these prophets. Each one will say, nafsi, nafsi. is worried about himself. Mm-hmm. And these prophets will mention some of the faults you know that they committed. And they're too worried about those faults, those few small things that they did. That's causing them grief and worry that they cannot help others until they end up at the Prophet وسلم, who will then intercede on behalf of his ummah. Who will then intercede on behalf of his ummah, the great intercession, it's given to him alone. Right? Um, Al-Kawthar is given to him, that 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 river is given to him. The Maqam and mahmuda that honorable station that only he will reach, that he's promised. That we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him at the end of every adhan, we ask Allah to give him the Maqam al-Mahmuda. He will be in the highest place in Jannah. And so these are some of the blessings Allah will give him alone in the Akhirah. Right? Ibn Abbas wa, he said, in Tafsir bin Kathir, it's mentioned, Allah will give him in paradise one million palaces. One million palaces. And each palace will contain whatever he wishes of wives and servants. Just one example of what some of the Sahaba said will be given to Rasulullah in the Akhirah, Referring to, Wala sawfa ka ka And surely, again, if you look at that lamb there, la sofa, That lamb is for Certainty, for emphasis And surely your Lord Normally in Arabic we just say You will get sofa means it's a future It's a word that we use to imply something is going to happen in the future سَوْفَ أُعْطِيك I will give you in the future So Ya Allah says sofa And surely He will give you Your Lord will give you Rabbuka, Your Lord will give you فَتَرْضَ That you become pleased Meaning The amount you will be given will please you completely. Those palaces will please you. That intercession will please you. That's his concern. His concern is his ummah. Isn't it so? The Prophet's main concern is, what's going to happen to my ummah? My ummah, my ummah. That's his concern. Right? Ummati, ummati. So Allah is assuring him, I will give you so much. That you will be pleased yani Your shafa'ah You will be there You will intercede for them They will enter paradise And so forth And this will please him It will be enough It will be pleasing to Rasulullah And this again Is the great bounties And the mercies of Allah Not only upon the Prophet But also upon All of the Ummah May Allah make us Of the best of them Ameen Other scholars say It applies to this dunya as well So it's not restricted To the akhirat When Allah says He will give him So much That it will please him not only in the akhirah, definitely in the akhirah, but also in the dunya as well. So for example, Allah has given him many victories, right? The battle of Badr and Uhud and other battles that they fought, Allah gave him victories. Allah gave him these things. It pleased him, no doubt, right? Establishing the deen of Islam, establishing Tawheed, bringing people into Islam. Many people accepted Islam, right? This pleased him, right? Um, contentment in this world, pleasing to him. Allah gave this to him. His message and his sunnah that spread that Allah gave him, that pleased him, that his sunnah was spread to the best of, you know, in the most perfect of ways. To this day we have it with us in pristine form. And how has Allah not given him? Imagine every righteous deed that is committed in this dunya by any person, by any believer, right? That reward will eventually go back to Rasulullah Because ultimately, that righteous deed had to have come from him. Remember, as the hadith says, the one who uh, directs to goodness is like the one who did the goodness himself, meaning he will get the reward in full. Just like the person who did the, the actual deed. So if you teach somebody one sunnah, that person then fulfills that sunnah, he gets the full reward, and you get the full reward. So it goes all the way up to the one who taught you, the one who taught that person, who taught that person, to that person, right up to who? Rasulullah. Sallallahu wa sallam, which means that reward is written for each person up until the Prophet. And that means every good deed that's ever been done, the reward goes back to who? Rasulullah. Sallallahu wa and in this is also a refutation on bid'ah. Because where does bid'ah come from? Not from Rasulullah. Sallallahu wa sallam, which means those mawlids and those things that you are doing was not taught by him. So even if you think it's a good deed that's accepted, you should know that the reward doesn't go back to the Prophet Alaihi because he never taught, others, taught us those deeds. Wallahu Ta'ib, And many other things. His Sahaba brought him joy. His family brought him joy and so forth. All of these things Allah gave him in this dunya as well. And this is applicable and Allah knows best. Um, if we look at those ayat, Allah then assures him Allah has not abandoned him Allah loves him, does not hate him Allah will give him the best and the Akhirah is better are also lessons for us Allah doesn't hate us Allah never forsakes us Allah will give us strive for the Akhirah it's better don't worry about the difficulties of the dunya endure the difficulties it's okay, endure it's worth it for the Akhirah and Allah will give you the best Allah will give you the best Right, Enjoy it now, Allah will give you the best in this world and in the akhirah. This is the promise of Allah. If you, in, if you do the righteous deeds, you endure sabr, your difficulties, you, you um, abstain from sin and so forth as best as you can, Allah will give you the best of both worlds. This is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa taala. It's not restricted to Rasulullah He gets the best, no doubt, because He deserved it of the best. But the better we do, the better we will get in return. ihsani illa al ihsan, As Allah says, what is the, the reward of goodness except goodness? Right? So these ayat, we can also take those lessons from um, as Rasulullah s.a.w. took lessons from it. Then Allah says, Did he not find you as an orphan, then shelter you? Right? Did Allah not find you, Ya Rasulullah, as, a, as an orphan and then shelter you? Right? Allah subhanahu wa Taala is asking this rhetorical question in a reassuring way. As if to say to him, Yani, Allah would never, never for, How can Allah forsake you? How can He hate you? How can He not bless you and so forth When He found you as an orphan And yet He sheltered you Yet He protected you Yet He brought, had, you been, had you brought up in the best way right? Your tarbiyah was done in the best way And so forth So Allah subhanahu wa Taala asked this question in a reassuring way To remind him that he's always been there from the time you went orphan, the Prophet we know his father died while his mother was pregnant. He never met his father. His mother died, Amina, when he was only six years old. Right? He was a young boy and his mother passed away. Okay? A youngster with no parents. What happened to him? Did he go astray? Did he get, did he get lost along the way? Allah says he sheltered him. He protected him. He went under the guardianship of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib who then died two years later when he was eight years old, right? And again, look at Allah, He mentions the example of an orphan, يَهْتِيمًا An orphan, we know people generally often struggle. Orphans generally, they have no parents. Your parents are your, your, your foundation. You know, they are your, uh, they keep your, 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 your firm. They, they are your support base, right? For all of us that, that have been blessed with parents, Alhamdulillah, Allah grant them long lives, they are support base. Right when we need help, we need shelter they're there. they 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 clothe us, they feed us they they bring us up and so forth they rear us in the best way possible. an orphan is someone who is, who has lost this right they have lost this and especially for a young it's something extremely challenging that's why many orphans they they have a tough upbringing. al-musta'an. the Wasallam was an orphan yet who sheltered him Allah is saying it is he that sheltered him he doesn't mention his grandfather or his uncle his he mentions, because ultimately Allah used them to shelter him, right? We then he went on to his uncle, who took responsibility for him, continued to protect him, assist him, elevated his status, because Abu Talib had status, and he honored him, and he even restrained him, his people from harming him, when he was 40 years of age, and Allah commissioned him with prophethood. So he was with Abu Talib for many years, right? And Abu Talib loved him, cared for him, protected him, and so forth even though Abu Talib did not die upon Islam. And this is the decree of Allah, and this is the words of Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir says, the most excellent decree. Right? He died a short time before the Hijrah. After this death, the foolish and ignorant people of the Quraysh began to attack him. Right? So after Abu Talib died, that was now the opportunity for the Quraysh to now really come at him. Because out of respect for Abu Talib, as a senior, they, they at least you know, held back. Allah then chose for him to migrate away from them to the city of Medina, right, where Allah eventually caused His Sunnah to be spread in the most perfect and complete manner. Then, when he arrived at their city, Ali, Medina, they gave him shelter. The Ansar welcomed him. They supported him, defended him, and fought before him. And that's where they became strong. The Ansar and the Muhajirin and so forth. Allah be pleased with them all. All of this was from Allah's protection for him, guiding him, guarding him, and caring for him. Right? Allah used all of these these factors in these people to shelter and guard him and protect him and so forth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention him in this ayah, he mentions that he found him as an orphan. Did he not fight? And he sheltered him. Using all of these different things, ultimately, it was who that sheltered him. It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that sheltered him. Um, And again, as we said. To show that Yani, can it be that Allah hates you? Can it of it? No, look at Allah even found you as an orphan and sheltered you all the way through. And again, think of us when we go through something difficult, when you go through some hardship, should we grieve? Should we think Allah has left us? Allah hates us, Allah deserted us. Look at your life. Look at all that Allah has brought you with, all that Allah has given you, all that Allah has blessed you with. You know? These are reassurances that Allah loves us. Allah is there to care for us. Allah is there to guide us and so forth. So never ever lose hope. We see how the surah brings hope and allah then said Wa dalan did he not find you unguided then guide you dalan. we spoke about this word last week by wala d-dalin. unguided meaning lost did not find you lost right and then guide you right we know rasulullah S.A. grew up in mecca in the early days in Jahiliyah, the times of Jahiliyyah, where corruption was widespread people were their their daughters alive Shirk and kufr openly happening, people making tawaf naked around the Kaaba, zina, khamr was flowing through the streets, all types of corruption was taking place. Right? Yet Rasulullah grew up in this type of society. He wasn't a prophet yet, necessarily, he, he wasn't a messenger yet. Quran had not been sent, Wahy was not being sent, but yet the Prophet was protected. Right? He was the best of these people, he was known as as Siddiq, for example, and he was upon fitrah, never committed shirk. Never ever committed shirk. He hated the shirk. He knew there's something wrong with this. Just like Ibrahim alayhi salam upon Fitra knew what his father and co were doing was wrong. Allah protected him from those haram. And he was a man who sought the truth. He to sit in the cave of Hira, for example, and reflect and contemplate and think until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him by sending him that revelation. Hence Allah says, did he not find you lost and then he guided you? You had no knowledge. And then Allah gave you that knowledge. Then He gave you the inspiration and so forth. Similarly, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in another ayah in the Quran, Wa ilayka min amrīna, and thus we have sent to you a ruḥ from our command. Referring to Jibreel jibrīl alayhi salam. Ma you knew not what is mal kitāb wal imān. Yāni you did not know what is this book, nor did you know imān. Faith. Walakin but we have made it a light. من, مِنْ عِبَادِنَا Wherewith we guide whosoever of our servants we will. Yani affirming the fact that the Prophet didn't know. He didn't know the, the Qur'an, he didn't know Iman yet. because so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel to him and gave this to him and guided him through it and so forth. Right? So Allah found him lost and guided. And, 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 and what's it? Astray, or misguided. dalan يعني means lost or unguided. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided him. And Allah says, وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى And he did, did he not find you needy and satisfy your needs? Right? Meaning, as Ibn Kathir says, you were poor, having dependence. He had people to look after. But he was a poor man. So Allah made him wealthy and independent of all others besides him. For example, when he got married to Khadijah, this gave him wealth. Khadijah was a wealthy woman, a businessman. A business, businesswoman, sorry. Right? And, رَضِيَ اللَّهِ عنها, uh, after becoming a prophet and migration and so forth, they conquered lands and they got the spoils of war. They were enriched and so forth. They were not in need of anyone after this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gave him this uh, type of wealth that he wasn't in need of others, right? It Kathir says Allah combined for him the two positions, the one who is poor and patient and the one who is wealthy and thankful in the two sahihs it has been recorded from abu hurairah that rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said leysal ghina an aradi walakin al ghina 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 wealth is not determined by abundance of possessions it's not about how much you have but wealth is the richness of the soul and the Prophet was the most wealthiest of all people in this way in in muslim it says the Prophet said, Whoever accepts Islam is provided with his basic needs. Just the basics what we need. But he's a true Muslim. And Allah makes him content with what he has given him, then he will be successful. Subhan, this is wealth. This is richness. It's not about how much you have. It's about number one, your true believer, Muslim. You just have enough to survive the basic needs. And you have qana'ah, which is contentment and satisfaction. Alhamdulillah, whatever I have is enough. Allah has decreed this for me, that's enough for me. This is the successful one. This is the best person. And this was exactly how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was. In Allah says, so do not oppress the orphan. Right? Meaning, just as you were an orphan, and Allah sheltered you, do not oppress the orphan. In other words, do not humiliate him, scorn him, or despise him. Rather, you should be kind and gentle to him, as Qatada said, be like a merciful father to the orphan. SubhanAllah. Allah found you in this state. Now that you've grown, you know, do not treat others that, 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 that are now similar to the way you were in a bad way. And this is a lesson for us as well. Sometimes people are poor, have a poor upbringing. They become wealthy, and once they become wealthy, they look down on the poor, and they mistreat the poor. SubhanAllah. You were one of them not too long ago. You know, so do not oppress them, yet you were one of them. You understand? Um, likewise an orphan. If you grew up as an orphan, be treat the orphans in the best way possible. Because you know what it's like, you know. Not now turn your back on them. Not now humiliate them and so forth. Notice the lesson here. Allah has blessed you and he has favoured you. So now go and favour others. Try and help others. As well. This is showing your gratitude to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, as opposed to being arrogant about it. No repulse the beggar. The sail, the one who's asking of you. The one who's a sail is a questioner, the one who's asking of you. Right? So just as you were lost, Allah had guided you. So do not scorn the one who asks for knowledge, seeking to be guided. So here you'll see the scholars actually refer to the beggar here as the one who's asking for ilm. Because as we said when the ayah when Allah said he was dal and fahada, he was lost, meaning he had no knowledge at the time. Then Allah guided him and gave him wahi and so forth. Likewise, yeah, when the sail comes to you, ask you about deen, ask you about knowledge and so forth, don't don't repulse them, don't scorn them, don't mock them, don't humiliate them, don't look down upon them, don't you know belittle them and, and, and treat them in, in a way as if they're ignorant and silly and foolish. Give them the ilm. Spread the knowledge and so forth. Right. Um, so it applies in, in terms of knowledge as well this, this, this ayah and also in terms of, of food and wealth okay? this means do not be oppressive arrogant, wicked or mean to the weak among Allah's servants as Qatada also said this means respond to the poor with mercy and gentleness subhanallah right? again a powerful lesson a poor person comes don't swear at them and chase them away don't shut the door in their face and chase, and chase them away In reality Allah sends that poor person to you, giving you an opportunity to give Sadaqah, giving you an opportunity to come closer to Allah. Had he not come, that opportunity for Sadaqah might not have been there. That's another way to look at it, you know. Um, And likewise, there was a time when we did not have. So now that you see someone who is in a similar situation, you should feel for them and you should give them, if it's wealth, if it's food and even if it's knowledge, and even if it's knowledge. So the students of knowledge, the scholars should take heed of this lesson as well. When they deal with others in da'wah, people may ask silly things, people may ask crazy questions, have patience, don't turn them away, don't mock them, don't humiliate them, treat them in the best way possible and answer them in the best way possible. This is the powerful. Uh, these are some of the powerful lessons that we get just from this part of the ayah as well, or the surah as well. Also, look at those below you. Subhanallah, look at those below you. Right, And this is a prophetic teaching. When you feel that you don't have enough, when you feel you want more, your home is not big enough, your car is not good enough, your phone is not good enough, your clothes are not good enough, this one's not good enough, that one's not good enough. Look at those who have less than you. Don't look at those who have more than you. Sometimes we see somebody with certain things and we long for more. Sometimes it's human nature. Don't look at those things. Look at those who have less than you and then you will find satisfaction. Then you will find satisfaction. Look at that beggar who doesn't have. Then you find satisfaction what you have, Alhamdulillah. Look at that person who doesn't have knowledge, and you'll be satisfied, Alhamdulillah. You'll be, you'll be, right? Look at that person who is an orphan. He doesn't have parents, he doesn't have family, he doesn't have relatives, he doesn't have friends, and you'll appreciate those around you. He doesn't have a spouse you appreciate your spouse, doesn't have children, you appreciate your children, and so forth. Look at those below you. This is a powerful prophetic teaching that people need to learn, as opposed to looking at those who have more and always hoping and wishing for more. As we spoke about, the true happiness is qana'ah, that satisfaction and contentment with what Allah Taala has given you, right? Um, So again, the person who's sad or depressed or grieving, don't look at those who have more, always look at those who have less, and then you count your blessings. And then you become appreciative of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. This is another powerful lesson from the surah. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ hadith. <فَحَدث> Allah then says, and proclaim the blessings of your Lord. Pro- proclaim the blessings of your Lord. hadith also means speak about it, mention the bless, uh, proclaim or mention or speak about the ni'mah of your Lord. Right? Ibn Kathir said, just as you were poor and needy and Allah made you wealthy, tell them about Allah's favours. Right? sometimes it's a good thing to mention the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that Allah has blessed you with, right? Um, in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu sallama, he said, indeed Allah loves to see the results or effects of his favors upon his slaves, right? He loves to see the effects of his fa- favors upon his slaves. In another narration, he saw a man with some worn-out clothing, and he said to this man, do you have any wealth? And the man said, yes, I have wealth. And the Prophet then said to him, you know, Allah loves to see the effect of his favors upon his slaves. As if to tell him, um, why are you wearing worn out clothing if Allah has given you wealth? Allah loves to see that if you have wealth, spend it upon yourself as well. you understand? So that you at least look good. As the hadith also says, Indeed, Allah is beautiful and he loves that which is beautiful. Right? And this is in line of what this ayah is basically saying. Allah gives you the ni'mah of wealth Show the wealth Right it doesn't mean become a show-off it doesn't mean become wasteful It doesn't mean become extravagant No, we are not saying that We are not saying go beyond the bounds be, be, Become لا. We are saying That if Allah has given you a certain Means and standard to live by Then you are by all means you should live by that standard Right With You know, giving your sadaqah With paying your zakah every year with, you know, spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so forth, helping those in debt, helping those in need, That those things are, no doubt, we are highly encouraged, if not wajib at times, depending on the, on the situation. But otherwise, you should proclaim the bounties that Allah has given you, the, the ni'mah Allah has given you. In this case, Allah has given you knowledge, proclaim the knowledge, you know, spread the knowledge. Don't hold back, spread the knowledge. Don't speak without knowledge, no, but... Proclaim the knowledge If Allah has given you um, Wealth You should spend the wealth Appropriately Right You should look good Allah loves that Which is beautiful As in the hadith we mentioned In this case with the prophet He's blessed you with prophethood With the Quran With the sunnah Proclaim it to others Don't hold it back Right This is basically What this ayah Is telling us So yes at times There's times When we Keep things a secret There's times When we keep things secret and we don't tell everybody and tell anybody because we fear an evil eye. This is also in its place, this is also in its place. Every bounty is um, is is mahsood, yani, the people are jealous over it. This this is also a fact. So, as a believer, certain uh, blessings we can proclaim openly, right? I got married, it's a blessing. Alhamdulillah, it's not a secret, should be on public news. Right? It should be known to all that, you know what, Allah blessed me with a spouse, I'm married. I have offspring. It's no problem to, to publicly tell people you have offspring. It shouldn't be kept a secret. You understand? Certain blessings Allah has given you, you can proclaim. And certain blessings you can keep a secret. Right? You can keep a secret, especially if it can possibly lead to evil eye. And hasad, and envy and so forth at times it's best to keep it a secret there's a line here that we should not cross there's always the middle path you understand um and we should know that middle path inshallah and try to stick to that middle path okay um, so this is another important verse that uh allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically he ends off the surah with a powerful surah as we said in a very beautiful surah and as we said, it, it's a consolement for Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam specifically and also for all of the Ummah. And just like we go through times of darkness for Lady Asajjah, duha comes. It always comes. So Allah started the surah with wa duha to bring about that light and that nur first. Don't worry too much about the darkness. That nur will always come. That warmth, that soothing warmth will always come. Just like that it came for Rasulullah sallallahu in the case of Wahi coming back. Right? Allah does not hate you, He does not. Abandon you He will never abandon you And He will never hate you Allah is always there And is always ready To accept us Accept our tawbah Allah says Allah wants to accept your tawbah Allah forgives all sins No matter what we have done We are never ever too far away From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So we never ever Lose hope in the mercy of Allah um, And Allah loves us And that's why He says Wal that the Akhirah is best. The Akhirah is what we should strive for and work for. Allah is preparing the best of the awards for us in the Akhirah. So don't worry too much about the hardships of this dunya. Bear the hardship, it, it has to be there. We are not in paradise. There must be hardship, there must be tests and trials. Have patience, have sabr, persevere. Bear those hardships because the Akhirah is waiting. It's better for you. Way better than this dunya. And Allah also says, He will give you and will please you. He will give you in this world yes, already, and He will give you the best in the Akhirah, which will be so pleasing to you. And the best that we can ever get in the Akhirah is Ru'yatullah Azza wa Jal. The best favor in the Akhirah is when you get to see the face of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And this will happen to the people of Jannah. They will get to see the face of Allah and nothing will, will be more delightful and pleasurable to them than this. Nothing will be better. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then also tells us and reassures us that they did not find us as orphans, some of us, they did not find us as weak, they did not find us as poor, they did not find us as lost and misguided, they did not find us as, think of your situation and, and, and look at how Allah has blessed you. How Allah has favoured you, how Allah has protected you, how Allah has reared you, how Allah has guided you, how Allah has blessed you with wealth, with knowledge, with family, with companions, with kids, with so many, count your blessings. And when you see this thing, look at others below you. Don't mistreat them. Don't mistreat the person who doesn't have. Don't mistreat the orphan. Don't mistreat the person who um, lacks either wealth or knowledge or whatever it may be. Don't mistreat them or or scorn them or or humiliate them. Treat them with honor. Treat them in the best possible way as Allah has treated you. And then regarding the blessings of Allah, proclaim the blessings of Allah. Allah loves to see it upon you. Allah loves to see it upon you. This is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Um, And that is basically our surah. We ask Allah azza wa jalla to allow us to take benefit from this powerful surah. And to be of those who never lose hope in his mercy, to be of those who are not grieving and de- in depression and, and sad, as Allah does not love this for the believer. In fact, as Ibn al-Qayyim says, Shaitan loves a sad believer, because a sad believer is vulnerable. So we should strive not to be of those who are, um, you know, sad and on a down and, and so forth. We should be um, happy and confident and, and, and have yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always open up a way and we should always be people who are um, positive, right? Be positive and be with Allah Azza wa as He will never ever forsake us as we see through the Surah. Um, until next week, inshaAllah uh, We 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 will go on to Surah to sharh Alamna Laka and perhaps Watini Wa Zaitun as well we see how it goes. Um, until next week, inshaAllah subhanakallahumma bihamdik ashahadu wa la astaghfiruka wa وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته